0: Tim and Ben our second lesson is from the gospel of Luke it's the continuation of the call to worship if you're curious about that it fits uh, you know the call to worship sets up the rest of the 15th chapter then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the wealth that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant region. And there he squandered his wealth in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that region, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. No one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran out and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but it's alive again. He was lost and is found and They began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the slaves and said, what's going on? He replied, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen. For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never even given me a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who's devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. But when he had to celebrate, we had to celebrate rejoice because this brother of yours was dead, has come to life. He was lost and was found. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Open our ears that we would hear the gospel. Our eyes that we would see Jesus. Transform us, O Lord, by the hearing of your word that it might translate into life patterned after the cruciform life of Jesus. Amen. The scripture text this morning, the two passages from Luke are called a worship and Psalm 8 and then the rest of Luke 15 that, that I just read They all have something in common. Each of those readings, in its own way, points to the infinite worth of a human being. The infinite worth of a human being. The quick stories about lost coin, lost sheep, point forward to the story about two lost sons and a father who refuses to let go of either of them. And Psalm 8, of course, reminds us that God's love for humans stands out as fundamentally more awesome than the vastness and mystery of the universe as a whole. The readings this morning taken all together remind us of how precious a thing a human being is. That's a phrase that we borrowed from someone else, but we use it a lot here at Grace. It's kind of part of our, our vocabulary, if you will, or a catalog of, of uh, aphorisms that remind us of the deep mysteries of God's love for us, how precious a thing a human being is. In the Luke readings this morning, Jesus shows how precious a thing a human being is by painting a picture of God's profligate love for those made in his image. Now, I I think profligate is is a good word for it because there's a a manic abandon that's suggested in the energy of these stories. It's the the kind of manic abandon that, that, that calls to mind a phrase that comes to us from the early church about human beings being God's obsession. Human beings are God's obsession. Don't you feel the energy? This woman in the first reading from Luke, this woman is not calm, right? She is not calm. Um, She is full of energy. And she is obsessed. And she's going to find what she's looking for. Shepherd, he's beside himself to find that lost sheep. And the Father, well, the Father is presented as someone whose love knows no boundaries. No boundaries. You know, I I mentioned last week in a very brief message, because we had a lot going on last week, I talked about how, um, you know, when Jesus says, you can't be my disciple unless you hate your mother and father. You can't be my disciple unless you hate your life. And, you know said well obviously Jesus doesn't want us to be self-loathing and that's not a passage to figure out your complicated relationship with your parents (laughs) but what is it that Jesus means and one of the examples that I offered for you to think about is the possibility there like in this Jesus's time in his culture um, this ancient Near Eastern world which he lived and you still see it in some pockets today um, you know honor shame Is the dynamic that that sort of governs uh, uh, society and nowhere is that more prevalent than in um, family life in Jesus's culture and so the thought that anyone would bring shame upon their family was absolutely unheard of and Jesus of course knows that if you follow him you will bring shame upon your family in certain circumstances if your family opposes Um, the profligate love of God in the world. And so suggested that's one way to think about what Jesus was talking about in the reading last week from Luke. Well, here's an example in this story of a father who just doesn't care. (laughs) Okay. Villagers, make fun of me because I'm not just going to sit here and wait for my son to come back and put him through a test to see if he's repentant see if he's worthy of being back in the family. I'm going to run. I'm going to go. And I'm going to see if I can meet him as far back as he is before he gets anywhere near the home. I'm going to embarrass myself. He did bring shame to that family. You can bet on it. He was the one who was talked about in the village as the one who brought shame to the family. The father says, I'm going to do something now. So ridiculous. So shameful. You know, I mean, he's wearing a robe. He's noble. He's like a noble person. He's got money. He's not dressed to be running. He's not supposed to be running. He's supposed to be sauntering, right? Or whatever it is that, that, that wealthy people did back then. Uh, but he embarrasses himself. <coughs> whatever shame that son had brought on the family, he's like... I'm going to do something that can be more memorable than that because I love him so much. I'm so glad he's home. The energy in all these stories of lost things, lost people, and the people that look for them, it's a manic obsession kind of energy. And I love this quote from Miroslav Volf. It's from his book, Exclusion and Embrace. that really gets at the heart of what Jesus is uh, telling us here and what Luke preserves for us in the telling of this story. I'm going to quote Volf here. The father who lets the son depart does not let go of the relationship between them. The eyes that searched for And finally caught sight of the son in the distance. Tell of a heart that was with the son in the distant country. Away from home, the son remained in the father's heart. And against the force of the wrongdoing suffered and the shame endured that sought to push the son out, the father kept the son in his heart as an absence shaped by the memory of the former presence. The father kept the son in his heart as an absence shaped by the memory of the former presence. Wolf goes on to say the father in the story refuses to construct his identity in isolation from his sons. One son reimagines his identity as a hired hand in an effort to go home while the other son has been acting like a hired hand Instead of a son, all along, both sons confused about their identity and doubtful of the love of their father until the test comes. The one constant in the story is that the father will let go of neither of them, no matter what they do or no matter what they don't do. God's love transcends all of that. All of that. And the reading apparently that we don't have in the, in the uh, liturgy this morning that is in the lectionary that Lee referred to briefly um, goes right along with this, that we're sin to abound, grace to abound all the more. I love the image that uh, theologian Cornelius Plantinga gives of that passage of scripture when he says, um, God's grace is an anvil that wears out the hammers of our sin. Now, some of you have heard that one before, too. I'm giving you, hey, it's a rainy day. I've got flour all over my shirt. If I think of a really good quote, I'm going to give it to you. Um, God's love always creates a context for us to come to our true selves. That's one way of translating what the son says to himself in the foreign land. In our translation this morning it says he came to his senses. In other translations it says he came to himself. Coming to our true selves occurs as we not only recognize ourselves as those loved by God but refuse to construct our identity apart from the daily experience of that love. So in this parable, we have God refusing to construct his identity in a way that excludes anyone. But then the flip side of that is we're not to construct our identity in a way that resists the full-on experience of all of God's love all the time, which of course means the times that we don't want it, right? And that that's the trick of formation that I've experienced over the years is that the times that I want to run to the distant country the times that I want to reconstruct my identity as a hired hand or or whatever it might be it's the very time that I need someone to remind me this table of course reminds us each week but I need someone to remind me no you're not allowed to construct your identity yourself God has constructed it for you You are beloved. Before you did anything right, before you did anything wrong, you were beloved. Finally, the way that the father in the story relates to the son who stayed home, we're reminded that God's love always creates a context for us to see the one who is the other to us, perhaps a perceived enemy, creates a context for us to see that person, that human being, that divine image bearer that is referred to in Psalm 8, to see them also as the object of God's love. And therefore someone who we hope to share fellowship with, In the story, the father seeks to open up space and context for the older brother to rediscover his younger brother. The one who says, you've never given me a party, is told that he's always welcome to the father's resources. He says, you've never given me a party. And the father says, you always have all of this. The one who says, this son of yours is gently confronted by a father who reminds him, your brother, (laughs) right? Your brother. Okay, well, this is all well and good as a story and maybe a hoped-for way of life. But really, how can this story impact our daily life in a way that makes a difference? I think it may be simpler than we make it out to be. I mean, honestly, it starts with discipline. Now, you know, discipline, some people love that word, some people hate it. Not many people are indifferent to it, I don't think. (laughs) I don't love the word, okay? But I've come to love it because I realize that when I engage in discipline to Act on the truth. It's not in order to gain God's love. It's in order to more deeply experience it. So when I say discipline here, that's what I have in mind. So the discipline I'm talking about is to think daily, like at the beginning of each day. Think to yourself. The people that I meet today, even those or especially those who present a challenge to me in different ways, they are precious divine image bearers even if they do not know that about themselves. And as someone who does know that about myself, I will ask God to help me to treat them as such. And in the various communities we inhabit, rather than being comfortable creating distance between ourselves and others, when differences make life together a bit strained, how about leaning into the union that we share a union that is created for us not of our own making but's given to us as a gift to be nurtured you know these are the gifts the church receives from god and community and as jesus says don't hide them under a bushel <laughs> uh, let that light shine not because we're smart not because we're good but because we receive all of this from Christ as a gift, we have the answer to the world's problems in a way the world will never come up with that answer on their own. God's grace, God's mercy, the God who refuses to construct God's identity apart from relationship with those people he made. May we live more and more as if all of that were more important than anything else that we might know or believe. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.